14 years ago when I uh, was a part of a team that started this church that just met in my home, uh, one of the things that I realized is that uh, whenever it came to study time, I couldn't do it in my house uh, because uh, it just felt too familiar. And so we rented one little office space that was 80 square feet, okay? And I was in this little cubicle, and uh, that was kind of my world. And uh, one particular day, I read a passage of scripture, a chapter that totally revolutionized my life. It was a scripture that I had read before, but the reality is I had never read like all three of the stories that are in it at once. I'd always either read one story and thought about it or taught on it and then read the other one, but I'd never kind of looked at it in its full kind of context. And The chapter is in Luke chapter 15, and that's what we're going to look at today. There are three stories within it, and from it we uh, will discover some different themes. Sends out invitations to all of his friends and family, and he says, Hey, I want you to come celebrate the fact that, you know, I have a hundred sheep, but one of them went astray, and I found it. And so we're going to have a pate here. And so he invites them to come, and he says, come, please. And so the first story is the story of a shepherd with sheep. The second story is about a woman who has ten coins, and she loses them. She can't find it, and so she looks in every nook and cranny in the house. She's looking behind the couch. She's looking to try to find this lost coin, these ten coins represented her entire wealth, and she's lost 10% of it. But she finds it, and when she finds it, she calls all of her girlfriends. She's like, girlfriends! She's like, we're going to have us a potty, but it's not just a potty. It's going to be a potty. And come on over, girl. We're going to dance. We're going to have a wonderful time. You just come and enjoy that. That's our second story, which is the story of a woman with a lost coin. The third is about a father who has two sons. The younger son one day comes to his dad and says, Hey, Dad, I know you haven't croaked yet. Day's coming. And so I don't really want to wait until that day. I'd actually get my share of the inheritance now. And so if it's you, uh, could I just have it right now? And this would have just been scandalous in the Middle East during this time. No one would ever do that, especially the youngest son. But the dad loves his son, and so he gives him his part of his inheritance, and he's like, let it rain, dad, let it rain. And he gets his, you know, pants just full of cash, and he goes off to do his own thing. Well, the money doesn't last very long because he blows it on wine, women, and songs, because that text tells us. And finally, the only way that the kid can support himself, because he's squandered everything from his dad, the only way he can is he actually gets a lower-than-minimum-wage job caring for some pigs. And finally, he works there, and he's hungry because he's not making enough money, and he looks at the slop that the pigs are eating, and he thinks to himself, I just wish I had their stuff. And all of a sudden, 
He's like, that's crazy. Uh, My life has become so unraveled that I'm thinking of doing that. And the text actually says that he came to his senses and he decided that he would head back home. He comes up with a plan and he humbles himself to say, you know what, I think if I go to my father and I just apologize and I say, hey, I was such a knucklehead, I know I should have never really have done this, but will you just receive me back, not as your son, but I'll just be a servant. And so he takes off to the servant quarters, he thinks to himself, and maybe my dad would let me stay there because the servants got three square meals a day and they had a roof over their head. He goes, I know I don't deserve it, but I think if I go to my dad, maybe, just maybe, maybe he'll do that. But as he gets closer to his dad's house, he gets to the driveway and he looks up this long driveway and he notices that there is this older man who has his robe and it's hiked up and he's running towards him. And he kind of looks at him. He's like, well, I don't know who that is. And then he finally recognizes that it's his dad. And he's like, man, I bet he's ticked at me. I bet he's mad at me. I'm sure he doesn't want anything to do with me. I mean, I bet he's going to just tell me, get off the property and leave. But he gets about halfway there, the father does, and he lets go of his hands on his robe, and he reaches out his arms like this, and he almost just kind of tackles his son, and he puts his arms around him, and he lets him know that he loves him, and he's so grateful. And in the midst of tears falling from his face, And just joy. He's like, welcome home, son. Welcome home, son. I've missed you so much. I love you. I love you. And he starts kissing him. And there's just this huge sense of joy because his son has come back home. And all of a sudden, he says, let's walk up to the house. And they start walking and, you know, they're so excited. And the son's like, I wasn't expecting this reaction, Dad. He goes, I've got something even better. He goes, you know what? I got a Versace robe for you. I mean, this is like the nicest kind of robe you could ever imagine. I mean, it is designer clothing just for you. And I have a ring for you. I'm going to give you this ring and I never want you to take it off because it represents our relationship with one another. You will always be my son. You're my son forever. And then he says, let's throw a party. Like, let's throw a huge honking party. And he says, get the fatted calf. We're putting steaks on the grill. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be wonderful. And they get all the food and they bring in the DJ. And all of a sudden you start hearing, bum, 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 bum. People are like, yeah, yeah, he's back. And it's like this whole rave, you know, that's kind of happening. And everyone's excited. And all of a sudden the older brother hears all of this happening at the house. And he's like, What's up with this? And the older brother comes up and he is ticked off. But we'll talk about him another time. All of this to say that the father of this rebellious son goes overboard with joy to receive him. And the father had never been happier in his life. 
Folks, 14 years ago, when I read all of these stories together, I mean, it just rocked my world. And I started wondering to myself, who is Jesus writing this to? Because for my whole life, I had always thought that he was writing this to his disciples, to his closest friends. And I was shocked when in verse 1, I see that it's a totally different audience. In verse 1, it says this, Dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus' sermons. But this caused complaints from the Jewish religious leaders and the experts on the Jewish law because he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. Jesus is not talking to his disciples or his closest friends. He's talking to the religious leaders. And the reality is, folks, is that Jesus didn't just welcome them. He actually accepted them, and he would sit down and eat with them, which would be just outrageous for a rabbi, a teacher of the law, to eat with scandalous sinners. But he does. And the attitude of these religious leaders really bothered Jesus a lot. So much so that he decides, I'm not just going to tell them one story. I'm not going to just tell them two stories. I'm going to tell them three stories back to back to back. And what bothered Jesus the most was the arrogance and the disrespect these religious leaders had for anyone who was less religious than them or less spiritual or different than who they were. And this bothered Jesus to no end. Now, here is how the religious leaders, the Pharisees, did their math. Their math went like this. Where, I mean, like if you're the son of God, why would you leave heaven to come to this place? The messiness of earth. And Jesus is like, oh, you want to know what my plan is, why, what my purpose is, what my strategic plan is. And, and this is what Jesus said. He said, I came to what? Seek. And to what? Who? The lost. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He says, I'm on a rescue mission. Every single moment, I'm on an all-out search. Have you guys ever uh, been on a search team before? Uh, right after Katrina, the search team, and we would go out into houses, and it was just overwhelming. But the biggest search that I was a part of took place a few years ago. We were uh, in Florida as a family, and uh, we stayed where uh, there were two swimming pools, and then you walked down these steps, and then there was a beach. And uh, on the very uh, my wife says, well, we're going to go to that hut over there, and we're going to get umbrellas and chairs, and you take and I'm going to sit up here and enjoy myself. And I was like, welcome to my vacation. You know what I mean? 
so umbrellas up and the chairs up and the kids and, you know, and Jen, you know, was with everybody too, most of the time. And, uh, we're just having a great time. And every single day, you know, you get those umbrellas, those chairs, and then they, this little hut where you rented that from, they also, you could do sporting events. And, uh, my daughter Jordan and I went out. They have this trampoline that's like on the ocean. You ever see these before? They take you out there and you spend an ungodly amount of money. You jump on a trampoline. You're like, I could have done that at home, you know, but I don't know. For some reason, we did that. And we, so we're doing all this stuff, and we're racking this money uh, on this little card. And at the very last day, um, I'm getting ready to get everything up. And I said, hey, babe, I said, why don't you take the girls on up, and I'll take all the umbrellas and the chairs and, uh, you know, take them to the hut and, and settle our account because they just kept charging. And she's like, oh, you, you're going to take all the stuff? And I said, yeah, it's no problem. Then she just turned around and walked away. And uh, so I get all the umbrellas. I get all the stuff. I get to this little hut. And I turn it all in. I pay the bill. And then I walk up uh, the steps, and there's one swimming pool there. And I see uh, Jen, and I see Shiloh, but I didn't notice Jordan. And so I said, well, um, that's kind of odd. So I walked up, and I said, well, where's Jordan? And she said, well, she told me she was going with you. And I said, well, obviously she's not here. That's not what you want to say to a mom, by the way, okay? But I'm like, well, she's not here. And she said, well, she said she was with you. And so we start looking around the pool thinking, well, maybe she was playing with somebody else and we didn't see anything. And, you know, a minute goes by and. And we're like, well, maybe she went to the other pool. Maybe she got lost. We go to the other pool, and we don't see her there. And all of a sudden, it's like three or four minutes. And all of a sudden, there was an ache in my heart like I'd never had before. And I ran down the stairs. I go out to the place where we had camped every single day, and I'm looking, and I can't see Jordan there. And I'm like, surely she didn't get in the ocean. And I swim out, and I'm yelling. I'm like, hey, have you seen uh, my daughter? You know, have you, have you seen her? She has blue eyes and blonde hair. And Pony tells her, like, no, 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 she went up with your family. We haven't seen her here. And then all of a sudden I have this image in my mind of Amber Alerts. And how often they're blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girls. And I start going up and down the beach line going, Jordan, Jordan, just screaming out her name as much as I can. And by this time it's about ten minutes I've elapsed and I go back up to the hut where these people are, and I'm in tears, and I'm overwhelmed, and I said, have you seen my daughter? And they're like, no, we haven't seen her. And then all of a sudden, I look around the hut, and there's this little blonde-haired girl with pigtails, and I just grab her, and it's, it's Jordan, by the way, okay? <laughs> and some of you are like, oh my gosh, was it a kid? It's and so I grab her, and I, and I hold her, and I start kissing her, and I'm like, oh, babe, I'm so glad we found you. I'm so glad we found you. And I'm on my knees, and I'm holding her, and I look her straight in the face. And I go, 
you ever do this again, I'll kill you. And I meant it. And you know, folks, for those ten moments, I experienced a sense of ache and pain that my system couldn't even take it. During those ten minutes, to be quite honest, I didn't care about the house we were living in, my 401k, how big this church gets, what kind of success or achievement that I've ever had in my life. The only thing that mattered in my life during that time was finding that little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. You know, when we read Luke 15, what Jesus is often asking to the Pharisees, he's like, do you think God the Father doesn't like those kind of people? Do you think he doesn't search for them? He's on an all-out search. That's why I'm here, to search and search and search at all times to find them. And the reality is, when you and I first come to Christ, we're so excited. And we're like, you know what? I want to be a part of the search team. And we're very quick to invite anyone to kind of come. And then over time, what happens is, is the wonder of our search kind of gets old. And we just stop thinking about others. And we just don't have the same passion that we once did. And we have a tendency to just kind of go through the motions. And then there's this kind of issue within us that we actually get off the search team. And when that happens, what happens is searchers become judgers. And pretty soon, judges become condemners, just like the Pharisees. They start thinking, hey, I go to church each Sunday. I'm a part of a group. I give money. You know what? I mean, like, God likes me, and I like God, but I don't like those people. So those must be the kind of people God doesn't like either. And when that happens, when someone has been kind of searched for, but then all of a sudden they wander away from the search team, rivers of tears flow from heaven because you've forgotten, I've forgotten what's most important. And let me just say this, don't let that happen to you. Do you know why we're doing the What Makes You Happy campaign? Because I I firmly believe there are people in your life that if you just invested in them, their life would be changed for eternity. And the question is, will we do that? So, there's a theme that everybody matters, 
And because they matter, it deserves an all-out search. And finally, retrievals bring rejoicing. Folks, what motivates a shepherd to throw a party for just one sheep? But he did. What motivates the woman to do all that she did to find one coin? The coin that's already in our house, it's only probably six feet away. But when she finds it, she throws this great big party. Now, it's a little bit more understandable with the father. His son goes away and he throws a big party. Luke 15.10 says this. Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when a single sinner repents. Several years ago, my wife uh, Jennifer and I were at a Colts game. And on this particular Colts game, they actually were recognizing Tony Dungy into the ring of honor. And uh, at that point, there were only seven people who were in the ring. And when Tony Dungy came out into the middle of the stadium, the place went wild. I mean, people started screaming and yelling. It was the loudest I'd ever heard Lucas Oil anytime. And we'd been to playoff games. We'd been to all kinds of stuff. And people were just overwhelmed by this. And they start clapping and cheering and Tony, Tony, Tony. And they're like, hey, hey. And they try to get the crowd quieted and it just got louder. And we're, we're doing all this and we're cheering for Tony. And all of a sudden he starts his little speech and I, I'm sitting there when all of a sudden I get a prompting from the Holy Spirit that says, Chris, this is what happens every time Someone comes home to Christ. And I mean, chills just like came through my body. And all of a sudden, I like start weeping. I'm at a Colts game. And I'm like weeping. I mean, it's like almost uncontrollable. And Jen looks at me and like, get it together. And... And I'm just crying. I just can't. And then all of a sudden I start thinking, but you know what? It just wouldn't be 60 or 70,000 people, but there would be angels and like trillions and trillions of angelic beings. And they're all like celebrating that person. And then all of a sudden it got better. And, and all of a sudden I sense God kind of whispering to me, Chris, that's what happened to you. On October 1st, 1983, at that church camp, when you bent your knee and you publicly said, I'm willing to give my whole life, that all of heaven rejoiced and they celebrated you, Chris. And, and God the Father and Christ the Son walked out into the middle of this huge heaven. At that you can't even see. It's so vast. And they said, today, we've got someone who's come home, and his name is Chris. And all of a sudden, the banners came down, and it had my name on it. And everybody was celebrating me. And you know what? It gets even better. 
Because the day that you gave your life to Christ, heaven stopped. And God the Father and Jesus His Son came to the middle of the auditorium of the stadium of heaven. And He said, today we have someone who has come home. And they call that person's name. And your name was listed from the rafters. Folks, nothing will keep God from searching for you. And He longs for you to celebrate the day that your name was placed at the center of all of heaven. And you know what I've just come to realize in my own life? I want that for everybody. I want that for everybody. Every friend, every foe, every neighbor, every co-worker, every acquaintance. I want it for everybody to experience that moment that they matter to God and all of heaven rejoices. So this is how we're going to close today. Jen asked all of you to kind of get one of these. So I'd like you to pull out your post-it note right now. And I realize that for some of you, you've already checked out. You're kind of like, dude, it's noon, and I'm done, and Bunch is going to ask me to do something, and I don't want to do it. And I can understand that. Sometimes public speakers will be saying something. I'm like, I'm not doing that. But you're not doing this for me. You're doing it for our great God. And so this is what I'd like you to do. Just two simple things. And I promise you, you're not signing up for anything, okay? But just two simple things. The first is, I'd just like you to write your first name at the top of this. Just your first name. Everybody, be a part of it. If you need one, just raise your hand. If you came in a little bit later, there's uh, folks that can do that. So write your name. And then under that, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write down what was that moment where all of heaven celebrated you. And so like for me, I would have Chris and then October the 1st, 1983. Because that's the, the moment I bent my knee, I gave my life publicly to Christ, and all of heaven celebrated that. Now, for some of you, you're like, I don't remember the day. Well, how about the month? You're like, honestly, I can't remember the month. How about the year? You could just put the year down. And for some of you, maybe it's not a date specific at all, but it's more like an era. Like for some of you, you would put your name, and then right under it, you just say high school. It was in high school. I remember uh, this person kind of reached out to me and I gave my life to Christ. Maybe for others of you, it was 
like when you went through a painful divorce. You were kind of like, oh, I'm not so sure. And so you'd have your name and just say, hey, you know what? It was the divorce of this time. That's when I knew that Christ came for me. Now, some of you might be uh, sweating right now because you're like, honestly, I've never done this before. I've never bent my knee. I've not had a, a moment like that. Well, the reality is today you could put today's date, October 6, 2019. It could be today is your day. Maybe for others of you, you're like, well, I'm not quite ready for that yet because I have some questions. So you might just put your name and put a question mark right underneath it. Like, hey, I still have some questions. We want to help you answer those so that you would be able to make a decision maybe sometime of what that looks like. Maybe for others of you, you would just write the word soon. You're kind of like, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm open to it. Maybe, maybe soon would be it. But whatever it is, your name and then what that moment or that date would be like. And what we're going to do is, in just a moment, you'll stand and I will close in prayer and we'll be done. But when you walk out the doors... On the left-hand side, right by the Jar Cafe, there's a wall. And there's already post-it notes up there from the first celebration of people who put their names there. And as you walk by, you can celebrate and go, wow, that person was rescued. That person was searched. And that person understood that they mattered to God. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now for our closing prayer. So if you could stand, that'd be great. And when you get ready to leave, you can just put that up on the wall. You know, I was thinking about it this week that the reason that Christianity is different from every other world religion is because every other world religion, you have a to-do list that you have to do some things. But with Christianity, it's as if you could just write the word done on it. Because it's already been done for you. You don't have to do anything. It was done when Christ went to the cross and he welcomes you. So let's close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for each person who's here today. That you love them, that they matter to you, that you search for them. And that today, rather than putting, put the date October 6, 2019. And if today's your day where you're like, you know, I'm going to cross that out. I'm actually going to put this down. All you need to do is humble yourself and admit that, you know what, God, I program and that doesn't work and I want to be on your program. So I pray right now, God, that people would be wrecked, fact that they matter to you and that you have been searching 
for them their entire lives. And today could be the day they are retrieved and rescued. And this would be the most important day that they could write down, October 6, 2019. God, give people faith to humble themselves, to ask you for forgiveness, to grant and to thank Christ for what he's already done on the cross that they would move into their future in a better way. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Hey, everybody, I know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.